at the beginning of uh, at the beginning of the year, we started this new series uh, called "New Me, Who This," and we just felt like it would be really good for us as a group to jump into the beginning of the book of John and to study it through together. I'm originally from Kentucky and uh, northern Kentucky. It's not really Kentucky; it's more Ohio than it is Kentucky, um, and. There are a lot of differences between there and here. Now, I've been gone from there for, for a while now, but one of the biggest differences here, especially in, in homes, are basements. Did anybody else grow up with basements? Yeah, uh, that's right, because no one's from here, actually. You know, It's so rare, but I grew, up, uh, I grew up with a basement. Now, there are some pretty sweet basements in, uh, in the Midwest and in the North, um, you know, some basements are game rooms. Well, some uh, there are some pretty sweet basements back home. Uh, at one point, my room was the whole basement. Uh, another point, our living room was a basement. That's because I was too immature to have a room be a basement. Um, there are some pretty sweet basements, but then there are the other basements. You have seen Home Alone, where Macaulay Culkin walks down into the basement. Um, and he sees the furnace that's going to kill him. You know what I'm talking about? There are those. It's like wet and damp, and you are guaranteed to come out with the flu every time you go into the basement and come out. My grandmother had one of those basements. Now, I, there was a season where me and my mom and my, uh, my older younger sister, we lived, with, uh, we lived with my grandparents. Now, I'm starting to come into like being 10, 11, 12 um, you know, starting to do some chores around the house, but at the time, and especially since my parents were split up in this home, I took it very uh, seriously to be the man of the house. And so when it was time to do laundry, and my mom asked me to go downstairs and switch the laundry and carry up the, 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 uh, the dry clothes, I took that role seriously. You know, I'm the man of the house, and here's another lesson, men, men of the house do chores. And all the women said, Amen. And, uh, and so I, learning this lesson very early on, no big deal, I open up the basement door and boom, flu hits me right in the face. <laughs> I'm letting you know that. Sorry, mom, I'm sick, can't get the laundry. No, 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 I stood at this at the top of the steps. Now, I can't describe my grandmother's basement to you without you actually being there, but she ha did have the steps that any murderer could have been under and reach through and grab your foot and pull you through. It's like an episode of Goosebumps. You know, it, it's like you're laughing, but you haven't been in my grandmother's basement. So here's what I would do. The light, though, this is so dumb. The light was all the way down and actually like in the middle of the room. It's like people knew what they were doing when they made these things to torment the kids as a punishment. If you don't treat your sister right, you're going to go stand in the basement. Fine. So I would get up enough courage to stand at the top of the steps and sprint down and grab the, grab the clothes out of the dryer and sprint up and I'd get to the top of the steps and have like three socks in my hand. But I didn't die and I survived enough to sprint back down and take the cold clothes and put them in the dryer and sprint back up grabbing, you know, a, a shirt and a pair of pants and maybe, I don't know, the other sock. Darkness as a child is terrifying. Some of you have toddlers or, or kids, and, and their fear of the darkness is somewhat, um, it doesn't make sense, right? Like, you know, 
uh, my son is, he just turned six Friday, and he's scared of the monsters. And we created some monster spray, which is water in a spray bottle, and it works. But he says, what if they get through it? Well, they won't, man. They're not. The spray is, you can't get through the spray. Well, can I just set up my stuffed animal dog at the bottom of the steps and he'll protect me? Really, that makes sense to you? (laughs) Okay, let's do it. I mean, darkness, they have this fear of darkness and it's, you know, it it, kind of doesn't make sense. As we grow older, darkness It's almost enjoyable. We like the darkness. You know, some of you are like, just please lock me in a room in darkness for like a day and a half. That's vacation to you. Um, We sleep with lights off. Like we we enjoy darkness. One thing that I'm, I'm afraid of is in our spiritual lives, the same is true. We give our, life to, our lives to Jesus, or we start coming to church, we start the year of 2019 on fire, man. I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to read through the Bible in a year. I'm going to make this spiritual sacrifice. I'm going to start giving more. I'm going to start serving more. I'm going to start loving people more. And we start out on fire, you know, like we're going we're gonna to overtake the darkness. I'm going to stay away from the darkness, but... Kind of as time goes on, darkness, like, we, we become desensitized to the darkness. Oh, it's okay, I, I can watch this show, it only shows that little part, or this movie. It, it's alright, I, I can be around this group, and a couple, if I get a little tipsy, it's not that big of a deal, they'll understand, I, I'll just go to church the next day. Right, like, we just start to tiptoe our way into darkness, and then before you know it, our light, we're going to talk about this morning, starts to dim. See, darkness can hide our actions, can alter what is real, and can send us, like, trying to feel our way through life just looking for the light. Have you found John chapter 3 either in your Bible or on your, on your device? Because uh, we're going to go rather quickly through this. John chapter 3 verse 1 says this. Uh, hey, I used to do this in a church I pastored before, before we had all this technology, because you live by technology, die by technology. Um, where I would say, this, oh, our church loved it. Our church loved it. I would say, um, go ahead and find John chapter 3 in your Bible. When you find it, shout amen. So we're, we're going to do this, all right, just so that I know you're following uh, all right, so if you found John chapter 3, will you shout amen for me? Amen. Yeah, thanks. Every now and then you'd have someone who, uh, it'd be like 30 seconds later, and you're, amen. And usually it was someone messing with me. Uh, feel free to do that, I don't care. John chapter 3, thanks, Dre, thank you. John chapter 3, verse 1, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Nicodemus, we just learned, right, is obviously, it's, it's, he's a Pharisee. His job was to be religious. That's what that means. And not only was his job to be religious, his job as a Pharisee was to make sure you were religious. Religion alone will burn people out on the gospel of Jesus. Following rules by itself is not what God has called us to. He called us to a relationship with him, a desire to love him, Now, there are some rules in there. My children love me, 
right? And because of that, they will follow the rules that I've set, no matter how crazy they might be, because they love me. It's not the other way around. I don't force them to follow rules in order to love me. Religion is following rules. Uh, being a Christian is following Jesus and the rules he's put into place. The, the religious system then, uh, which Nicodemus is a religious elite, they would come to him and ask him for religious advice. They'd say, what do I do now? And Nicodemus's job was to go back, this is important, was to go back to the Mosaic Law. Um, Moses wrote five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And in there are 619 laws that the, Jewish, the, that the Jewish faith still uses that they would have to keep in order to stay on good terms with God. Now, how possible is it to keep 619 laws? It's not, and that's the point, is that they needed God. And so that's where we get the Old Testament sacrificial system. And so they would often come to someone like Nicodemus and say to Nicodemus, uh, these are my sins, what kind of payment must I make? How do I get into right terms with God and Nicodemus and all Pharisees and religious elites? Their, um, their solution was more rules, more rules. Uh, he was a, the, the Bible tells us that he was a member of the Jewish ruling council, which will be the group that will eventually uh, sentence Jesus to death. But here's what we know from John chapter 1, uh, or from verse 1, is that we are introduced to who? Nicodemus. Okay. Uh, here's a biblical principle for you as you're reading at home, is to go slow. Try to understand, who is Nicodemus? Why is he important? Um, so, you know, if you go verse by verse, it helps. That's what we're going to do this morning. So there's Nicodemus. That's who we have. That's a character in the story. Let's keep reading. He came to Jesus at night, and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not in him. Hey, Jesus has the attention of the religious people. Now, as we talked about before, Jesus doesn't really help the religious narrative. You know what I'm saying? He actually flips it upside down which we're thankful for. Now, that doesn't mean that we aren't religious. You see what I'm saying? We still follow the religion part. We still follow the rules, but it's because of our relationship with Jesus. So Jesus has the attention of the Pharisees. Think about last week. Oh, did you hear that? Sorry. I'm so sorry. Man, you ever drink coffee and it's like, you're like mouth is dehydrated. Okay. Why don't you all judge me again? Okay. You didn't hear that. Jesus in John chapter 2, uh, he turns water into wine. Pharisees are hearing about that. That's the only move that God can do. In John chapter 2, um, uh, Jesus flips over the tables in the temple in the presence of the Pharisees and the religious elite. They have, Jesus has their attention. So we find out in verse 2 that Nicodemus comes to Jesus when? We're studying this together, not just me. He comes at night, at night. 
Now, if you're a religious elite, people know who you are. Why do you need to come at night? Why not during the day? You have the power. You have the schedule. You do what you want. Um, it's because of that that he comes at night. There's two reasons that Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. First is to access Jesus. Who doesn't want to be around Jesus? Who doesn't want to be there to hear about the next miracle or to be like, I handed him the whip when he went into the temple. Like, who doesn't want to belong to that kind of narrative, that kind of story? Everybody does. So they're all, at one point in Jesus' life, he's walking down the road, and it says that the crowd bumped against him, and his disciples are trying to clear a way for him. I mean, he's got, uh, fame's not the right word, but people are recognizing who he is. And so it just makes sense. If you're going to have a real good conversation with him, it's going to be a one-on-one at night type situation. The other reason that he comes to Jesus at night is because of his shame. He's embarrassed. And so he's trying to do it under the cover so no one can see him um, talk to Jesus. Does this describe your spiritual life? Like there's a desire for you in your life to know Jesus. But man, if the people around you knew it would change. Maybe you wouldn't get invited so much, or maybe they would talk differently around you. One of the hardest things for me as a pastor is when people find out I'm a pastor. I love playing softball. Uh, it's, baseball was one of my passions, but then I, once you get fat, you can't play that. And, uh, and my knees hurt, and my ankles hurt every day, and uh, they said that when you turn 30, those things happen, and it's true. My middle finger, and I don't, I don't stick it up at a lot of people, I usually don't stick it up at anybody. <laughs> and when I said that, I wasn't meaning to flipping people off, but I can see where you got it. I just woke up yesterday, and it hurts. Like, it hurts to open it. Anyway, see? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, anyway, I, I, love, I love playing softball. Uh, I joined a team uh, when I first moved here, and, uh, man, it, it, was, it was so much fun. Uh, the last weekend uh, of the last kind of week, it was, it was a tournament week, and... and uh, we won, we were playing in the championship uh, game, and we had to beat them twice, and uh, someone said, Roger, what do you do for a living? I was like, dog, I made it through the whole season. I was like, actually, I'm a pastor, man, and I'm playing a church here, and you know, I was one of the boys until then, and uh, you know, they, they, they talked different around me, uh, they started to, to treat me differently. And while there is an aspect of being a light in the world, um, there is also an aspect of people will treat you different when they find out you're a Christ follower. And, and the, the same is true for Nicodemus. He doesn't want to ruin that. He doesn't want to ruin his social status, his position. Imagine if his peers or his coworkers find out that he's hanging out with Jesus. His career is over. Did you, did you notice uh, what, Jesus, what Nicodemus called Jesus? Look down at your Bible and look at what Nicodemus calls Jesus in John chapter 3, verse 2. He came to Jesus at night, and what did he call him? Rabbi. Teacher. Nicodemus recognizes something in Jesus. You don't teach like other people. Or maybe you do, but I'm respecting you enough to come and ask. Here's what's interesting. I'll tell you this, this part now. After John chapter 3, we see Nicodemus two more times, but we don't really read much about him. Does he become a Christ follower? We don't know. 
But it's interesting. He's around Jesus. Um, uh, he's around Jesus toward his crucifixion part, and he defends Jesus. Doesn't necessarily make him a Christ follower. But then he's with Jesus when they take his body down off the cross. See, Christ follower? I don't know. I hope so. We don't really read much more about him, but he recognizes Jesus as having some kind of authority as a teacher. Verse 3, verse three and 4, keep reading with me. Uh, it says, truly I tell you. You know what that word is in Greek? He would say it twice. Amen, amen, amen. So when we say amen, amen at the end of our sentence, or at the end of our prayers, let it be true is what we say. So when we say in Jesus' name, let it be true, amen. Or as I think it's John Lennon would say, let it be, right? Is it John Lennon? Paul McCartney? Okay. I, I believe they, they knew each other, I think. Jesus replied, Amen, I mean, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. He ain't wrong. That's what we say. He ain't wrong. I mean, Nicodemus has this concrete, very elementary type thinking. All right, what Jesus is saying is impossible, and it's true. You can't do that. Um, he's thinking about a physical birth. Let's keep reading. Verse 5, uh, Jesus answered, Amen, amen, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You, sh you, must, you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Are you confused? Imagine Nicodemus. We have things like Bible commentaries, right? Those are things. So if you want to dig deep, more deeper in Scripture, um, you can go online and find Bible commentaries. Actually, check this website out, blueletterbible.org. And uh, they've got, you can type in John chapter 3 and click on it, and it will pull up commentaries to teach you more about it. So if you want to get more in-depth in, uh, in your scripture knowledge, uh, that's a great place. If you want to check to see what, if what I'm saying is true, uh, read commentaries. Please do that. Please go home and read your scripture and your Bible and check to see if what I'm saying is true. Um, that will grow your own spiritual faith and hold our church accountable. So uh, do that, please. Um, but there are, there are things like that. There are books. You can read about Nicodemus. People have written books about in different studies. There's also the Google machine. And Nicodemus didn't have that. And so we keep reading. If you think you're confused, how about Nicodemus? He's got to stay. You ever been in a conversation where someone's talking over your head and you're just sitting there like this? Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, I know. <laughs> Imagine Nicodemus. <laughs> Uh, it's night, so Jesus can't see his face. Here we go. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. Um, hey, I, hold on. Before we go on, look at verse 7. Look at verse 7. Go back to verse 7. Jesus begins schooling Nicodemus. 
I imagine Jesus saying it like this. You, he didn't, I mean, we don't have record of it, but you, of all people, right? Like, you should not be surprised at my saying that you must be born again. Why would Nicodemus, why shouldn't Nicodemus be surprised? Because he's the expert. He's the religious leader. He's the one that has all of the answers. So in verse 9, it's interesting, he's the one asking the questions. How can this be? Nicodemus asks. You kind of can see a tone of, of humility. You are Israel's teacher, Jesus said. And do you not understand these things? Jesus is asked the question, how does Jesus respond? Well, the question. Jesus is always listening. Uh, Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we've seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Thanks for putting up with me. <clears throat> it's so gross. I have like, I'm one of those guys that if I hear you chew or swallow, ugh. <sighs> okay. It's just interesting to hear yourself do it to the microphone. But, uh, and I have to edit the podcast, so I have to listen to it again. I might just punch myself in the knee when I'm doing that. <laughs> so, Nick, so Jesus is teaching Nicodemus here. But the Bible described Nicodemus... <laughs> Nicodemus? Is that Nicodemus and Jesus at the same time? If Nicodemus became more like Jesus, we'd call him Nicodemus. It's like Saul turns into Paul. If you see him in heaven, don't tell him I said that. Uh, All right, Nick. Jesus is teaching Nick uh, about what it's like to understand God. How does the Bible describe Nicodemus as a Pharisee, and as an expert in the law. We know the law as uh, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And Jesus makes a really clear um, reference to the book of Numbers. Look, he says in verse 14, if you're following along with me in your Bible, verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness... So the Son of Man must be lifted up. When you're reading at home and you see that, you should use the Google machine and look up Moses lifting up the snake. Like, check to see what Jesus is saying. Because when Jesus makes reference to the Old Testament, there's some significance there. And so this is what you'd find. You don't need to flip there unless you're quick. Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 to 9. It says, They're traveling from Mount Hor along the routes to the Red Sea to go around to Edom. But the people were growing impatient on the way, and they spoke against God and Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread, there's no water, and we detest the miserable food. Remember, the nation of Israel was in uh, in slavery to the nation of Egypt, and you've seen the prince of Egypt where Moses walks in and through God's power leads the people out. 
They cross the Red Sea, and then they wander for 40 years. Um, generation after generation dies in the desert. And so at the very beginning, or I guess, no, this is toward the end, they're, they're growing miserable. And they start to complain, it says, against God and Moses. Um, then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. So be careful when you complain here at Restore. I'm kidding, I'm not Moses, don't want to be. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who's bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. You're familiar with the sign for the paramedics. It's a staff or rod with a snake around it. They get it from Numbers chapter 21 and from what Jesus is saying. So, all right, now that we know what Numbers says and what Jesus is making reference to, let's go back and read it again to see. Look, go back to uh, verse, uh, verse 13. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Verse 14 says this, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Any good Jew would know the story, but especially Nicodemus. Then Jesus makes the application, verse 15, uh, or he, it's in, the, I guess, the last part of verse 14. So the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And you know what's interesting? John chapter 3, verse 15, turns into John chapter 3, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's probably a better word than eternal. Remember, we talked about the definition of eternal in John, and when we talked about John 1. You can listen to it on the podcast. For God, look at verse 17. Don't read 3.16 without 3.17 and 3.18. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Hey, I, I often ask this question about John 3.16. What if we believed it? What if we believed it? Now, I, I think we as a generation... Now, I know some of you are not millennials. Sorry. Okay. Well, you should be. No, I'm kidding. But you live in a millennial generation. And in the next couple generations, unfortunately, and somewhat fortunately, right? There's good and bad for everything. Millennial, there will be one day a millennial president. Okay. Now, be careful because I'm a defender of millennials. Some of the things you say are true. We are selfish. We can't get away from our phones. And we are so focused on me. 
And uh, all millennials, we're guilty, okay? Some of it's our fault, some of it's not. But the majority of it is. I guess all of it is your fault because you could just say, stop being selfish. Now, nah, hold on, let me say this again. All of it's our fault because we could just say, I'm not going to be selfish. Um, but our whole church world and church society has butchered John 3.16 because we have made it all about me. Yes, it is about you. And if you believe in Jesus today, you will have everlasting life. And we want to walk through that eternal, or the, the physical part, your, your life here, we want to walk through that with you. And so if, if you're in that boat, man, you're ready to give your life to Jesus, we want to talk about you, we want to talk with you, and what your next step is in that journey, we, we want to be a part of your family, we want you to be a part of ours. But what does John chapter 3 verse 16 say? For God so loved the world. I've said this before, and, and I think I'm believing it more now than ever. The Bible is not about you. In a sense, it is, right? Jesus came and died on the cross for you. But he did it for the world. He did it for the people sitting next to you, and he, he did it for the co-worker you can't stand, and for your ex-husband or your ex-wife. Uh, he did it for the parents of your children who left. He died for the people we hate, even though you can't follow Christ and hate people. You can't be a Christian and not love people. And so uh, just as a side note, stop saying you hate people. It's not funny. Uh, it's cynical, and it's just not. Uh, uh, I think Christ cowers when we say that. Um, if anyone had a right to hate people, it would have been Jesus. But while he's on the cross, he says, forgive the people who are killing me. They don't understand. See, the gospel is for all people, all backgrounds, all walks of life. That includes you. That includes the people who don't think like you, look like you, or vote like you. The gospel creates in us and those people, yeah, those people, it creates in us a new creation, a new life. And if you, got, if you believe that about you, which is exciting, it's a transformation. At some point in my life, I decide to follow Christ, and he says, you are no longer identified by your sins and by your shame and, and, and by your, your past. You are identified now as a follower of Christ, as a child of God. Man, that's freeing. That's life-giving. But it doesn't stop there. We have someone in our church, his name's Eric. He's in our life group. He'll, he'll always says, man, we've been blessed to bless. We've been given grace to show grace, to extend grace. And this is a new beginning for us, an adoption uh, as sons and daughters. It's a new kind of love. But Jesus continues to say, but here's the verdict. Here's what happens now. Light has come in, look at verse 19, you're following with me, verse 19, light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Man, I, I wish that, uh, I wish we could kind of understand what that looks like, you know, I don't know that our, oh, sorry, I'm trying to learn sarcasm is not helpful. Our generation knows what this means really well, don't we, that light and darkness can't mix Darkness cannot exist where light is, but light can always overpower darkness. 
Everyone who does evil hates the light and, that will not, uh, and, and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. Isn't that true? But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, and we do it with joy. So that it may be seen plainly that, they, that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. We have to choose light over darkness. There's a story uh, of an old Cherokee uh, grandfather. He tells his grandson, he says, My son, there is a wolf in each one of us. The first wolf is anger, jealousy, greed, resentment, inferiority, lies, and ego. The other wolf is good, joy, peace, patience, love, hope, humility, kindness, empathy, and truth. The boy looked at his grandfather and said, Grandfather, which, which wolf wins? And the, grand, and the old man quietly replied, the wolf that you feed. Choosing light is exactly that. It's a choice to not participate in darkness. Now, I want you to see what Jesus says uh, through all of that. A man comes to him in the darkness who knows all the answers. Well, he says, knowing all the answers is not good enough. Being religious is not good enough. The only way to come to the Father is through the Son. you got to be born again. And being born again means a new life. And that's why I'm here, because in a couple years, I'm going to be raised up. And everyone who looks on me will be saved, you know, like in Numbers, chapter 21. And anyone who believes in me will live forever. Now, that is awesome and a great way to end, but Jesus doesn't stop. He says, but here's the verdict. Here's where the rubber meets the road, is you have to choose life, light. You have to choose to live in the light. Living in darkness, he says, is evil. But those who who come into the light... We come into the light and we love the light because it exposes our dark places and where we need to draw closer to God. Hey, I've got a flashlight here. Uh, I know it seems like a, a middle school analogy, and it is. <laughs> um, I have a flashlight here, and uh, it's a pretty sweet flashlight. So it's got a light here at the, at the top. Okay. It's got a light right here that is super bright, right? Um, (laughs) uh, Here's here's what I want to talk about. We say this at the end of each service, uh, at the end of each sermon, is um, uh, we want to give you a couple things you can do today to live out the Bible tomorrow. Like start things you can start doing today that will stretch your faith and grow you closer to Jesus tomorrow. So if you're taking notes here, here, here's the first couple of things. Uh, John chapter 17, verse 17, Jesus is praying. Uh, it's just a couple moments before he, he's going to be uh, let off to die. Okay? He's, he's in the garden. This is the place where Judas kisses him on the cheek. And uh, he's, he's praying, and, and he says this. He says, uh, let them be sanctified... Uh, um, Let them be sanctified by the truth. Your word is truth. John 17, 17. 
So uh, here's the first thing we have to do if we're going to live in light. We got to seek what's true. We got to seek the, the light. And sometimes when we pull our, we, we got to ask this question, is our light shining? If it's not, we got to find out what's true and why our light is not shining. Now, we're going to seek truth. What is true? What does Jesus say is true? He says, your word is true. Now, here's, here's the difficult part, and, and I'm going to confess to you that sometimes, not sometimes, this is difficult for me as a Christ follower. What happens when you open up God's word and it doesn't match what's happening in your life? What's going to change? Well, it's not going to be God's word. That won't change. So do we, as a Christ follower, as a Christian, as someone who says we love Jesus, do we have enough humility to say, I love you enough that, I, that I'm going to change? You know what we call that? We call that repentance. And so let's, let's look at our light and find out what's not here. Would you do that? Can you do it? Of course you can do that, but I guess will you do that? If you want to live a light, if you want to be a new creation, a part of new creation is living a new life, and a new life is finding out what is true and shining light onto your dark areas. So let's examine why our light's not shining. Now, of course, you probably have already guessed that I took the batteries out because <laughs> I'm trying to make a point. You guys ever do that? Like, you're, you're in a intense fellowship with your wife, like you're trying to make a point, and you guys are yelling at each other, and you're like, I'm going to take batteries out just to make a point. It doesn't work. <laughs> eh, okay. Just me. Uh, okay, so there's flashlight, and uh, I took the batteries out to make a point. And that, that point is uh, you can go and find why your light's not shining, right? But then to just set it down and walk away does nothing. It's like James says. It's like going to look into a mirror and then walking away and forgetting what you look like. Then you have to return, and then you walk away, forget what you look like, and you return. It's kind of pointless, right? You're just going to keep returning, 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 returning. It's the same with our light, man. We're like, we open up God's word, and we're like, dude, this is good. This is really good. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness. Man, that's, that's great. How many of those do you show? Okay. And then we put it down, and we're like, man, I, I, I really need batteries. Like, I really need to live that life. And then we just set it down. You know, unfortunately, some of us will go to the grocery store and walk by, right by the batteries. And then we come back home, we're like, die! I really need batteries for that flashlight. Um, here's here's uh, what Jesus says in John, is sanctify them by your word. John 17, 17. Sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth. You know what sanctify means? I used to teach this in elementary school, or uh, in, in middle school. Sanctification stinks. Uh, it's where you actually have to change. It's where you actually have to spend the, do you know how expensive batteries are? It's dumb. You actually have to change to look more like Jesus, right? And so you start to change, I don't know, you start to read more, Read more of your Bible. That's great, and you should do that. Oh, I didn't mean that. Ah. You didn't see that. 
okay? You, uh, you actually have to start changing, okay? So you start to put the work in. You put the batteries in. You, you start to see, but so you, are you, will you allow God's word to sanctify you, to clean you? That's the hard part. You know, uh, some, I'm not a, I, I don't have a green thumb, but uh, apparently some plants won't grow unless you prune them. And the same is true. You can't just come in and follow Jesus and say, I'm going to keep everything the same except I got Jesus. You've got to do some pruning here. Now, um, then, so one, seek truth. Two, be sanctified by truth. The last thing. I'm trying to find out who's sleeping. (laughs) Let your light shine, man. No? Bam! (laughs) Let your light shine here. Can I be stupid for a minute? You're like, yeah, you've been stupid this whole time, dude. Here's my new Christmas present. I got this for fishing. Oh, yeah. They told me I wouldn't do this. It worked. Counterproductive when these two lights are shining on your face. But, dude, this is what it's about. It's it's about walking around with a light that people can see. This morning we got here, and it was so dark, and I brought this so that I could see into the the uh, trailer and uh but people would would be like show up and i'm like hey good morning they're like oh hey that's what it's about you can't just seek truth you can't just say all right i think i'll i think i'll start to to let it change me you gotta do it right right you gotta repent and move away from your sin you gotta pursue jesus And if we learn anything from Nicodemus, it it is that nothing happens good in darkness except that we learn about our desperate need for light. If we were to close, turn off all of these lights and turn off all of these lights, what are you going to see? You're going to see darkness, but you're going to see this light. Where does light shine brightest? In the darkness. Oh, (laughs) hey. Hey, let's make another application. Sometimes your light is dim. <laughs> and you just got to find the right. Oh, okay, I can see you sleeping now. Wake up. No, I'm kidding. Uh, sometimes your light's dim, and you just have to push the right button, which is what? Uh, God's Word. Good. Um, man, look, I love doing that with you. Uh, I love studying Scripture with you. Can I tell you something? It's pointless. It is pointless if we don't do anything about it. And so if you're a Christ follower, a Christ pursuer, someone who loves God desperately, um, that's it. We've got to seek truth. We've got to seek light, even in the darkest parts of our life. Uh, Let's pray together. Uh, Father, you are good, uh, and sometimes we're not. God, thanks for being a light in our dark spots. Thanks for being uh, consistent. Uh, Thanks for being present. God, right now, some of our lives are are very dark. Uh, Whether it's by circumstance outside of what we we can control or whether it's not, God, your word says that anyone who looks to Jesus, we will, be, we will find a Savior. And so, Lord, we're, we're doing that now. Help us, God, to live a light 
a life that is that shines bright. God, help us to have the courage to turn on the lights in the dark corners of our lives, ones that show our hurt and our sin, and allow that to bring us joy because through the pruning process, we grow closer to you. We look more like Jesus. It's not easy, but Lord, we, we want to live lives that's not about us, but a life that's about you. God, thanks for Nicodemus, his humility to come to you at night and let us learn a lesson that in our, it's never too dark, there's never too much shame or too much hurt to find you. Uh, help us to, to live that out. I would pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.